earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. And the second reading is from Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 6. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of God. Thank you, uh, especially those who uh, were at the City Care lunch today, which Kim was one of them, uh, our lunch for the homeless and uh, our uh, um, trust building with them. And um, it was great, it was wonderful. And uh, we're going to look at uh, four, ver- six, seven, eight, nine, ten, five verses of Scripture today, five verses from the Bible, five verses from the New Testament. Uh, second last in our series in Galatians, and today is about how you live your life, or how you will live your life, how you sow, we'll we'll come to that in a moment. Um, It's about the life you live, and it's about us as a community or a household of faith, and about how we do life together with our posture to the world around us. We're going to read these words uh, and explore them in just a few moments' time. Therefore, let us, as we have opportunity... Let us do good. Let us do good to all people, all people, and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's explore that together. Do you want to pray? Yes or no? Let's pray. Father, as the prophet Isaiah said 2,500 years ago, as the rain comes down and doesn't return without watering the earth, making it bard and flourish, in the same way, come now. by your Holy Spirit and nourish our souls and challenge us, produce fruit in us in keeping with repentance and do this, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So today we're looking again at the agriculture of the soul. Uh, We learn today, tonight, from, from the farmers. There you go. 
I tried to find a cheery, good-hearted farmer. How'd I go? We learn from the farmers or the gardeners amongst us. The apostle says in Galatians 6 verse 7, a man reaps what he sows. Six simple words. You don't need a degree from an ag college to know what these words mean, but they are profound, they are challenging, and they are potentially life-changing. Embedded into these six words is an opportunity to sow and to reap. The right seed will bring a harvest, life, but there's also a warning here. You sow the wrong thing, the wrong seed will bring weeds or destruction. It could destroy your life by the way you live your life. And as we know from farming, a good harvest involves the right soil, desired, the desired seed, and then, of course, sowing and reaping at the right time, and in between watering and pruning and sunlight and fertilizer. In other words, hard, focused work, but also, somewhat ironically, it's slow and settled too. Farming takes time. I say this as a complete city boy. What do I know? But the outcome of the right sort of sowing and reaping is fruit. And I don't care what you say, what you're looking at is miraculous. And I think existence is miraculous, let alone fruit. Or, if you're going to use Paul's use of this metaphor, eternal life, not fruit, eternal life, the Christian life. This is the agricultural of the soul, part two. Part one was two weeks ago when we looked at Paul's idea of the fruit of the Spirit. As free children of God, we are interested in God growing something within us, growing fruit within us over time. The Christian life is therefore an organic life, a spiritually healthy life. That's what Paul means when he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. That's patience, kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There it is, agriculture of the soul, part one. God producing fruit in you. Today, the agriculture of the soul, part two, Paul uses the same metaphor of sowing and reaping with a related but a slightly different point. So in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, a man reaps what he sows. There's your six words. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. That's no good. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And right there in verse 8, you've got, you know, another verse that could function as a life quest, like a thing that's going to guide and govern everything you do in one verse. Today will then be about sowing. Slow, methodical, sowing, doing in life. On first glance, that verse looks like it means, a man reads what he sows, it looks like it means what you do in life has consequences. You get what you put in. I've got a boy doing the trials tomorrow for the HSC. And so I've been saying, uh, you know, you reap what you sow. You know, well, you know, you, you, get, you, put it, you get what you put in. You know, you're going to invest in some time. You're going to get... 
He doesn't like me saying it, but my father said it to me, and, you know, Lord willing, he'll say it to his child. It's my right. But, you know, you get what you put in. You put in seeds, you get plants, you put in weeds, you get junk. That's what verse 7 appears to say. A bit like what the late humorous, American humorous P.J. O'Rourke said, there's only one basic human right, the right to do as you damn well please, and with it comes the only basic human duty, the duty to take the consequences. But what happens if there are consequences from God? God cannot be mocked. What if it's not just, you know, base consequences, but something from above? There's more going on in these verses. What does it mean to sow to please your flesh, sow to please the Spirit? Interesting, your flesh, the Spirit. That's interesting. What is the destruction you might reap, the eternal life you might reap? What does it mean to to have a harvest at the proper time? What is the proper time? And how do they relate to verse 7? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. We'll come back to all of that. I'm going to treat verse 6 as part of the unit in verses 6 through 10. We t- Roger touched on this last week, but I thought I might explore it a little bit more this week. Two things to do from today's teaching and a result. And by the way, verse 6, the commentaries argue about whether it belongs to verses 1 to 5 or verses 7 through 10. So I'll pop it right in the middle and leave it as a segue. Two points to make today, or two things to do with your life. Invest in teaching, so do the Spirit, and then I'm going to talk about some results at the end. So firstly, you know where, you know where we're going? Firstly, invest in teaching. Look with me at verse 6 in a Bible at the end of your pew or on your device or on the screen. Here it is on the screen. Paul writes, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. Now, what does it mean? It means that a church like the one in South Galatia and today ought to invest in teaching that the members of the church ensure that the church has sound doctrine. You're the one helping to make it happen. We need a proper reading of the Bible, not a cheap one, Old and New Testament. We need an apostolic reading of the Old Testament, but a New Testament reading of the Old Testament. Hence, no works of the law, no circumcision, you know, no Torah or Torah fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And we need to do that to ensure that the message of Jesus is true, and proclaimed, and treasured among us. Diverse means that there'll be an instructor or instructors, a teacher or teachers, a person or people whose job it is to tend to the word among us, a person or people trained, assessed, and commissioned for ministry. But I think the application could be wider from this. I think it could apply to community group leaders, sharing all good things with those who... Who, who, who gather people around and, 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 and are part of what it means for a church to have sound teaching or instruction. It also means that there are those who receive instruction, not just an instructor, but those who receive instruction, members who receive catechesis for their well-being. Catechesis is an education in the faith of children, young people, and adults, which includes especially the teaching of Christian doctrine imparted, generally speaking, in an organic and systematic way with a view to initiating the hearers into the fullness of the Christian life, teaching that makes sense for life, living. And here in Paul's words, those who receive instruction must, he says, share all good things with their instructor. 
Now, this doesn't mean that you need to, you know, give me goodies from time to time. Please don't. <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, every now and then people are kind of me in different ways, but uh, that's not the point. That's not what we're talking about here. The commentary that Rob and I have been working on through the series uh, from Tom Wright suggests very heavily that this verse means really pay your ministers, which you all do, but I'm just saying what the Bible says. So the context would be things like supply their needs, share all good things, supply their needs. So in Philippians, Paul in prison, for example, writes that the Philippians have amply supplied his needs, which doesn't mean, you know, put a wage through. It means, you know, they provided everything needed for Paul to live uh, there in prison. Um, in Corinthians, Paul says that those who reap a spiritual blessing, you gain joy and peace and and you gain God, should share a material blessing. The upshot is that members of a church ought to be giving to that church, among other things the Lord lays on their heart. Now, in the New Testament, a lot of it's very organic. It's like, Paul needs something. We should send a gift with Epaphroditus. What, what does he need? I don't know, but send, you know, send some stuff and see if it works, and Paul will write back and say, that worked, thank you. You know, I got what I need, etc. Now, Anglicans, of course, that's what we are here at this church, we have structures, if you didn't notice, and those structures have been developed over centuries, and I'm pleased about that. If I can put it this way, Anglicans have sort of figured out what they're going to do for, for the wages of their ministers. Um, you know, most denominations have done that, and uh, most businesses do it too, you know, with regulation, and, uh, you know, we don't say to, you know, my son's, my third child has just got a job at McDonald's, and they don't say, look, we'll feed you a couple of Big Macs and some chickens at the end of it. They give him a wage that the government says he should get. You know, it's called a uh, minimum wage, and I assure you, it is minimum. It is, the word minimum has a re... Uh, but he's happy, he's 14, got the job himself, man reaps what he sows. Anglicans, of course, have a system, and we are amply supplied. Parish Council takes your gifts which are all given online, all of it's online, and they direct it to A, mission, B, the orderly running of our church, and C, to the wages of staff, both ministry and administry, and we want to thank you. This church already obeys this verse. I'm not presenting this verse to you to say we're not doing it. We are doing it. But two thoughts about money. One, there are members of our church who don't give, and uh, there are some, and I don't know who they are, I just know, you know, the there's reports that come about giving units because it's all online. And uh, there are members of our church who ought to start thinking about giving, even if it's $10 a week or, or, or less or more, um, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. Uh, it's important to do and to do so online. And secondly, there are members here who do give, and we're very thankful for you, and we urge you to always look at the figures that we give on our sheet here every week at the bottom of the page. It's small. We don't make it big. Around here, we're not trying to, you know, trumpet it, but we let you know how we're going, and just to let you know, we're tracking against budget. Doesn't mean that we couldn't do more. If we received more, we'd do more. But, you know, we, we do what every organisation does and try to put something together which is responsible but aspirational, and this is not a word that I'm saying because we're, you know, we're stuck, we're behind budget, we're ahead of budget. But, you know, we've got the rest of the year to go, we've got people to employ, and uh, we're thankful for those who see that figure there, and who can do something about it, and from time to time do something about it. And there are lots of people in that category, and we're very thankful for you. 
But the verse could also mean make things enjoyable for teachers. Don't make things unnecessarily hard. Don't get all cranky on us all the time. Share all good things with, their, with your instructor, which means be present online if you have to, and there are some online for various reasons. And, Bill, I noticed you arrived in late, but you're here because you're always here. And I know David Ford was here two weeks ago on the screen. Uh, and I know Kat's in Vietnam. And before live stream came on, Kat, you couldn't even join us. But here you are in Vietnam joining us. But we love it when you are present and are able to be present. Some aren't, but we do love that. And uh, you're encouraging. And we want to say, find ways to make Jenny's life joyful or Emma's life joyful or Rob or Forsyth's life joyful or Kyle in the office. That's not to say don't critique. Critique us. Critique us, please. But do so in a constructive way rather than a, a biting way. Or a... Don't expect us, of course, to be superhuman with time. And keep us in your prayers. I was at a church growing up. Uh, I was about 15 years old, wanting to be taught. And the minister there had thoroughly lost his mojo. And I wasn't the only one that thought it. Uh, people complained a lot about him. You know, at suppers after church, I wasn't the only one. And I went to a digger at the church who, you know, looking back, must have been born in the 1920s, which means he must have had something good to say. I was complaining about the minister who'd lost his mojo. And he said to me, I've got a way for you to help him. And I'm like, how can I help him? I'm 15 years old. And he said, why don't you come to church each week? Why don't you sit in the front row and let him look at you writing notes with the Bible open? Let him see you doing it, he said. Because I bet you if he sees you doing that, my guess is, he said, part of the reason he's lost his mojo is he doesn't believe that what he's saying is valuable anymore. He's lost the sense that people are even listening or caring about what he's saying. So why don't you show him that you care about what he's saying? And I suspect, he says, I suspect the preparation will increase if he knows that you are listening. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I like the idea of sharing this with my instructor. And interestingly, I never left the front row. I never left it. I liked the front row. I was at Bar St Barnabas Broadway where R Rob Forsyth was my minister when I was at university, and I loved sitting in the front row uh, with his own children because I was trying to sow into their lives in youth ministry at the time. What happens if we don't? Well, we, be we become a church that drifts away from Jesus, joyful, loving life in Jesus. And the context of the whole book of Galatians proves it. The whole possibility in Galatians of turning aside to a different gospel is real. Paul says, anathema to those who do. And in fact, of course, half the New Testament is written a sort of warning about the possibility of, of being part of a church that drifts away from good teaching and sound doctrine. And there were obviously teachers in South Galatia at the time who didn't get the meaning of the gospel, they didn't understand it, they were trying to work it out. They weren't thinking enough about how the Old Testament fits in with the New Testament. Pretty hard if you're Jewish and steeped into it and then you find out that there's freedom from Torah. And there were others like Peter who weren't courageous enough to stand up to the pressure from, from head office. They didn't get it, at least it was a momentary lapse of reason. And that's why Paul wrote Galatians. And lives are at stake. Souls are at stake. Stanley Harrowass, I think trained as a medical doctor, and he became a theologian later and was big on preparing ministers for a life of teaching. And he was like, um, he's got this great, I couldn't find it, got this great um, clip or book where he says, you train people in medicine for years, 
you know, six years for an undergraduate, then you go and specialise, and 12 years later you come out as a doctor, and he himself was trained as a doctor, and he says, you do it for 12 years, and that's just for the body. Not the soul. Now, he's not suggesting 12 years of, of uh, tertiary education by any stretch. He's just saying this, when the soul is at, at, at stake, communities of faith are at stake. I love this quote. The work of the church, like work on a farm, is slow, hard, rewarding work. We can take the time such work requires because we believe that we've been given all the time we need through Jesus' cross and resurrection to listen to as well as care for one another. Such a perspective, from such a perspective, the question is not whether parish ministry has a future, but whether without the parish, we, Christian and non-Christian alike, can have a future at all. We're talking about God here. So, invest in teaching. Second, sow to the Spirit. In verses 7 and 8, and this will be up on the screen and moved back and forth from time to time, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked, which means don't kid yourselves. It's not just you and your life and trying to make the most of it. You know, man reaps what he sows, I sowed, I didn't get what I wanted. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a God who made the world, who has a will, one we don't obey. God sees it. He sees into hearts. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You live in God's world, the real world, and like agriculture, don't think for one second there aren't consequences for what you do from God's perspective. There are. A man reaps what he sows. This is the agriculture of the soul. Verse 8, then, a man reaps what he sows is, is the science. That's, all, that's true, right? In agriculture, you know, you put in basil, you'll get basil. You won't get, you know, cilantro. Or is it coriander? I spent too much time in America. You know, you get what you, you, you put in the ground. And the metaphor works as whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. You, know, you could say whoever sows to please self, from self will reap destruction in your dust, in your humanness, in your frailty, from below, not from above. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. It is interesting, their flesh, or your flesh, and the Spirit. One's about self, one includes God. The word please is not in the original language, it's in the NIV, almost no other translation has it. Whoever sows to their flesh... That's where you put your seeds, you see. Whoever sows to the Spirit, that's where you put your seeds, in God. This idea of sowing and reaping has a huge pedigree in the Bible. It's a phrase mentioned over and over in the Bible, and it wouldn't surprise me if it was common in the culture, because it seems like an obvious thing to say. A man reaps what he, a person reaps what they sow. So what I want to do now is give you a little snapshot of how sowed and seeing is used in the Bible, all in the same space, but with different things being said. See if you can pick the different things being said. Here's one, Proverbs 22, verse 8. Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity. Now, you might look at that verse and think, no, they don't. People sow injustice all the time and get away with it. But this is in the Bible. We're talking about God who sees and judges 
whoever sows injustice, who puts that in the ground, reaps calamity. Right? And this could be macro. Putin will be judged for walking into the Ukraine. He's sowing injustice. It could also be, if I can put it this way, micro in homes, businesses, workplaces, neighbourhoods. You want to use power to yield against someone else, to gain your ends, the ends of the flesh. God sees it. The rod they yield in fury will be broken. It's a powerful metaphor. We know it's true that the one who sows injustice reaps calamity. We know it's true in, like, real life. You know, Putin walks into the Ukraine and there's calamity everywhere. But there's judgment for it. The rod they yield of fury will be broken. Don't believe this applies to Putin. That is, anybody sowing injustice decimates things in their path, but the power they yield, it'll be broken. There'll be a victory of God. And by the way, you can think of an infinite amount of examples of unjust acts destroying lives. Now, while the agriculture is true, a man reaps what he sows. If you sow wheat grain, you won't reap, ri won't reap rice. Say that ten times. If you sow wheat grain, you won't reap rice. If you sow a sunflower seed, you won't get a rose. That's science. That's always true. But the metaphor isn't always true, such is the nature of metaphors. Here's an example. Job's friend Eliphaz said to suffering Job, and the reader knows why Job is suffering. God said, Job loves me for me. He fears God and sons evil, and the accuser, Satan, said to God, he only loves you for the things, take away the things, and he'll curse you and die. And so Job experiences enormous suffering. And yet he still holds fast to God, and his friends come to him, and they make statements that are not true. Uh, for example, you must have sinned to experience such suffering. It's not true. We know it's not true. Job's friend Eliphaz uses the proverb, a man reaps what he sows, to corner suffering Job. Consider now, said Eliphaz, who, being innocent, has ever perished. It's a strange thing to say. Were the, where were the upright ever destroyed? <laughs> As I have observed, said Eliphaz, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. In other words, you must have done something wrong. A man reaps what he sows. It's not always true. Job was innocent, and he is vindicated after a season, at the proper time. But the metaphor is generally true. A man reaps what he sows. There are agricultural metaphors in the Psalms and in the prophets. In the Psalms, one that a person who delights in the Lord and his word is like a tree planted by streams of water. I want to be that tree, yielding fruit in season, leaf doesn't wither, wither, whatever they do prospers. The agricultural metaphors are in the prophets, like Isaiah. We, um, Kim read this a moment ago. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it, it does return eventually in evaporation. But it doesn't return without that water watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Right? That's just agriculture and the water table and science. But in the same way that the rain comes down, so my word 
So is my word that goes out from my mouth, says the Lord. As rain comes down and doesn't return without watering the earth, my word won't come down without and return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In other words, the word is being spoken right now. And God will do what he needs to do with this word from above. Agricultural metaphors are used by Jesus. Mark 4, listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Some of the seed fell on the path, some on rocky ground, some on thorns. The fruit never came, eaten by birds, choked by weeds, etc. But some seed fell on fertile soil. That's what I want to be, fertile soil. And it bears fruit. Jesus said the seed is the word of God, the message about the kingdom, the gospel. Jesus is the farmer. He's still the farmer. You are the soil. The question is, what kind of soil are you? What happens if the word of the kingdom is planted within you? Is there something fertile for it? James says the same thing when he says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, right? Acts of the flesh, works of the flesh, and instead, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. That's what I want for my life. That's James, the Lord's brother, Jesus' own brother. And Paul, of course, uses the agricultural metaphor in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You are free liberated from death and exile and sin and destruction and made a son, a daughter, an heir of the kingdom with the spirit of God's son in your hearts. If I can use the language of Galatians 4, you're a child of the free woman, Sarah. You're at odds with the slave woman, Hagar. You are free. And uh, we use that freedom not to indulge the flesh, but to reject the works of the flesh, mere human, frail, base desires, the whole idea of doing what you want. That's not us. This is us. And a related but new point is made in our text today. A man reaps what he sows, verse 7. If that's true, then this is true. Whoever sows to their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. There's an above life and a below life. One from God and one that's of dust, of Adam, of Adam. I think in the context, sowing means something like investing your life, to use another metaphor, investment, Investing your life in your own flesh, captain of your own soul, doing what you want, and investing life in the Spirit, you know, in, in God, living, walking by the Spirit. By investing your life, I have in mind the things you do, the priorities you have, where your life focus is, where your energies and hopes and aspirations are, because you're trying to reap a thing at the end of it. You're trying to get something after it. Sowing and to sow implies a focused, ongoing effort, not simply a casual one-off thing, as any farmer will know. It's your whole life. And it's also about where your hopes lie. Do you trust God or the dust, mere humans? And we looked at this two weeks ago. Do you trust the superpower next door to you because you're afraid? Or do you trust God? Turns out the superpower next door to you, they're mere mortals. They're horses of flesh and not the spirit. So sowing, then, is about how you live your life. Is it for self, trusting dust, the superpower, the boss, 
the income, the life? Are you curved in on self and with it the fears that come with it? Or are you in line with God's spirit, his will, his power, and boldness in him? The implications are enormous. If you don't, so do the Spirit. He says you'll be sowing to the flesh, and from the flesh you will reap destruction. You'll cater for base desires, is for Paul to ruin your life, if not in this one, in the one to come. It's like, I want to be captain of my own soul, and 20 years later, how is that working out for you? And Paul outlines what it might look like when he says, you know, if you're just going for self, then you'll do what you want sexually. I mean, you know, you'll do what you want, which means that, you know, you won't hurt people or, you know, power imbalances, minors, you'll, you'll be consensual. But it'll still be, maybe, maybe not, but it'll still be about you and your desires. It won't be about God, what God wants. Purity, idolatry, magical practice, these are acts of the flesh, hostile acts, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, as a way of life, because it's about control in the end, to get what you want, which is selfish actions and dissensions and factions, which is using one group of people to exercise power over another for your sake, acts of envy, inebriated loudishness, and drinking parties. Paul uses the word orgies, but let's call them what they are, drinking parties and the like. You know, this is like, you had a big night, Remember this two weeks ago? No, a big night is a life of service to other, you know, a night of service to others. Let's call that a big night. And in contrast, those who sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, a couple of clarifications. This is not works. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's a gift. This is why I think Paul uses the language of sowing and reaping rather than merely commanding and doing, because you can be held account for what you don't do. You don't do the growing. Jesus said it grows all by itself. You sow, plant, you sow to the Spirit, you reap what is grown there, but God does the growth. You don't do the achieving of eternal life, Christ does that. You put the seeds of your life into the gift already given, into fertile ground. That's an important clarification. A second important clarification is Paul is not talking about one-off lapses. Oh, no, I had a bad night last night. I did something wrong last week. Or even a bad patch. Often comes with addictions or mental health or just willfulness. We spoke about this last week. Paul has an economy in the household of faith of someone caught in the sin. Those of you who are living by the Spirit, right, or sowing to the Spirit, shouldn't judge that person. No, they restore that person and they do so gently, precisely because fruit takes time over, fruit takes time to grow. I'll never forget um, a mentor of mine reflecting on this text and he said that he made the point that farmers who are trying to harvest, for example, peaches, have never been able to replicate with a machine what can be done with a human hand. If you imagine for a moment, you know, even if in your mind's eye now you've got a tree with peaches on it and those peaches are sensitive and if you want to take a peach from a tree, you're going to take your gentle hand and you're going to have exactly the right amount of pressure to detach that peach from the tree. No human being can do it. You need to be gentle with each other's lives. 
Sowing, either to your own flesh or to the Spirit, is a settled, focused way of life. Either way, it can begin with a one-off or a bad patch and grow from there. It's much more than that. It is like living by the Spirit, a life direction, or works of the flesh. It's the life you live, defend, and promote. It's a problem. But it's also a challenge to the complacent who think once they've accepted Christ, everything is all right no matter how you live. Do not be deceived. You think you've got an eternal life insurance policy, it's all tied up and in a bow. Assurance is set and forget. This teaching should come as a shock and as a wake-up call. Do not be deceived. God sees and he cannot be mocked. Can't fool him. Result, lastly, verses 9 and 10. A harvest, Paul says, if we do not give up doing good. Don't give up doing good. Find the good you need to do. Don't give up. And in the end, you'll reap a harvest. And it's first to the household of believers, but then to all, then to the world. Paul writes, let us not become weary in doing good, which is related to not giving up. Because it's easy to become weary in doing good. The result of your doing good might not be immediately obvious, especially if someone's acting with a different game, like works of the flesh. Because he says, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up, the opposite of Proverbs 22. At the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good, which is what I think sowing is to the Spirit. Let us do good to all people, all people, all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's both and, all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers, both and, not either or. It's not just you do good to all without first sowing into the family of believers, care about each other. But it's not just to the family of believers without doing good to all. That's why our mission statement has a deeper discipleship in Jesus and then compelling community, household of believers, as we face the world, uh, the city gospel engagement, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the household of believers. This is the result of sowing to the Spirit. You can see why we happily aligned this verse to our city care lunch, which is an example of many things that you could do to apply the verse of not being weary and doing good. The application for these verses is bottomless, or I should say infinite. The sky's the limit in the amount of ways that you personally could apply these verses. But the City Care Lunch is interesting because it's six times a year, for 10 years we've been doing it, and you could say, was it worth it? And some people do come for one, two weeks, or two years, and they go, what are we really doing? But I take it, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I love how after 10 years, there's a Bible study on Wednesday nights, more trust and love, people being cared for in the congregations, even here in this room, and Dave Irving coming on board in the next couple of months from a grant from the diocese, isn't that great? To expand that ministry. A man reaps what he sows, but God has the fruit in his hands, in his time. He has the results, and they bear at a harvest at his appearing, and you shall enjoy such a harvest if not before. So get sowing. This is your life. Live it. 
You've been saved, redeemed. You've been given a gift to take your redeemed life and sow into the lives of others. Trust God. Sow into the lives of teachers. Yes, I love you. I hope you love me. But critique me. Sow into the household of faith. Do good to all, especially to those who belong to the household of believers. No doubt. But also to the world in which you live. Do good to all and ask God to bring his harvest at the right time. Shall I pray? Father, we can become weary in doing good, and that's uh, natural to have uh, a fatigue in such ways, but we believe in you. <laughs> we believe in, that you see, that you notice, you notice the, the sowing of the injustice and the sowing to the Spirit. We know that you'll break the bow of the wicked and um, take those whom you've redeemed by your precious blood and bring them to glory as uh, we live our lives, actions, the decisions, the life focus, the, uh, the dreams and desires. You take all these things that we sow each day and you, we, uh, we do so to you, not to ourselves, and we ask you that we'd reap a harvest at the right time. We pray this, pray this rich blessing for Christ's sake. Amen.